Yeah. Hello and welcome back to the Couch Team Podcast. My name is Ryan Parker. I'm joined as always by Matt. Is really sad that Boston Celtics are down 3-2. Chamberlain, how you doing, Matt? Well, I was just telling you before it started, I was on a great day, Ryan. Just a <laughs> phenomenal day. And then the game today tipped off. And I was no longer having a great day. <laughs> and then there were moments where I was like, yes, I'm having a great day again. Yep. And then I was not having a great day. <laughs> so, a Man, roller coaster. This, uh, this finals has been fun, and we'll get into that more here in a little bit. We'll talk about your Celtics. We'll talk about the Warriors. We'll talk about some draft stuff coming up. Um, but, Matt, this has been an entertaining series. And um, what's it like just, you know, crapping away a championship? That's the question I want, I want to know from your perspective. Well, this is also referencing game four. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, game four hurts worse than game five. I'll say that. Mm, yeah. Because, like when you're at home and you can kind of take the series by the balls. Yeah. You, like losing game five at, you know, not Oracle, whatever, Chase Center. Yeah. Like that's one thing. Like sucks the way it happened, but like that's one thing. But you can't, you can't lose game four at home in a like, you can just, really put this series to bed right i know like the whole like steph goes wild it doesn't matter what you do he's making everything like i get it but the circumstance of winning game four hurt more but i think watching today's game may have hurt more put it that way Mm, that's good it was just a stupid game today it it was it was it was a it was a wild game the celtics were not good, then good, and then not good again to finish the fourth. But um, before we get too much further in the podcast, let me remind everyone to follow us on our social media on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and give us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, before we get too further into some finals talk, Matt, would people miss an episode 139? Yeah, I mean, of course, talking, you know, final stuff. Um, one separate thing was draft lottery. Again, big draft coming up. We don't have a lot of pod time to do it, talk about it, just because it's so close to the finals. And my heart's just invested in Boston. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was the, one of the main things from last time, aside from just basketball game talk. Um, quick news things. We haven't, haven't had a lot of news just, you know, that time of year. Some coaching stuff's really started, you know, popping up, Ryan. Um, Quinn Snyder stepped down in Utah. Charlotte um, nabbed Kenny Atkinson from Golden State's bench, but he's still yep. coaching through the finals, um, take over their team. The Lakers brought in Darvin Ham. He finally gets a shot. Um, Tim Conley left Denver to help run the Timberwolves. And then the Nuggets, um, who you're texting about this, uh, sent Jermichael Green and a 2027 first round pick to Oklahoma City for number 30 in this year's draft and two future seconds. Um, Sam Presti's favorite trade is just to take a first round draft pick and turn it into more draft picks. Yeah. So 
just real quick on this, this last point before we get into it. I texted you like, I feel like the Nuggets are up to something. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but they're up to something. Is it yeah. is it moving Michael Porter somehow? That would be my question. Like, because obviously you have Jokic, so and you know Murray's coming back, and you think you have to reasonably assume Murray's coming back, and that's a good thing. He's going to be the way he was, like if not from day one, like eventually. So you think like you can win a championship in Denver, like you can. So you don't just trade off like a useful rotation player in Jermichael Green and a valuable 2027 first round pick for not nothing, but close to nothing in terms right. of the last pick in the first round of this year's draft. I like, and they already have number 21, I think it is also in this year's draft. So it's like, are you accumulate, accumulating assets to put into a trade? Maybe a Michael Porter Jr. trade? For a big fish, you know, what what what's exactly your goal here? I I don't know. The worrisome opinion of mine is, they're like, oh crap, panel attacks, dumb Jamichael Green, mm. and will instead, you know, pick number thirty gets paid, you know, one point two million dollars or something, you know. We feel like we can re- effectively replace him with whatever we can get there, or at number twenty-one. You know, so that's the pessimistic view, for sure. I'd like to think it's not what they're doing. I'd like to think this is all part of a greater plan to get a big fish. You know, maybe a true third guy to go with Jokic and Murray. Maybe one that complements them a little better than Porter. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, that <clears throat> that that trade, I. It was kind of shocking, kind of a weird timing too, right? Like normally these deals, it, this feels like a more draft day deal. So I think you're right. I think Denver could be looking at, you know, something, something crazy here. And maybe they're, like you said, big fish hunting. Um, I mean, is Levine out of the picture for them? I I, I guess it depends no. on, you know, whether – uh, Chicago wants to cooperate in that and get something back if Levine decides to walk away. Um, so, um, all fascinating stuff. Some interesting coaching coaching decisions, up, like you mentioned on, um, that we can talk more about this offseason while we're doing some of the the preview season stuff. But let's let's get back into some finals talk, Matt. Um, the Warriors go up three two. Um, after winning game five at home. Andrew Wiggins was maybe the best player on the floor tonight, which is something ridiculous I didn't think we would ever say. In the NBA Finals. In the NBA Finals. Not not a February game, you know, at Toronto. Right, right. It's it's a high-stakes game. He was good defensively. Um, He was good enough defensively and solid on that end. And then offensively just kind of took advantage of his spots. Didn't really do anything more than he was asked to do. Um, And just took advantage of some, some poor defense by the Celtics. And um, this is, I know Matt, you've talked about, you know, ways a team can win a playoff game. Right. And this is, you know, you look at a team like the Warriors, for example, 
Um, you know, Curry can get you two, one to two games. I think you've outlined this for me before. You know, Clay can get you a game. Curry could get you a game. The bench others on the Warriors can get a game. Um, and so it, tonight, more so than ever, and I would like to hear your thoughts on this, it feels like the others won this game. It wasn't necessarily Clay or Steph or Draymond going off. It was Poole gave them some minutes. Wiggins gave them a big performance. Gary Payton um, yeah. had some timely baskets um, and some smart cuts. And Looney, uh, the minutes he played, he was good again. Um, and it just seemed like the Warriors just had that one extra p- play every quarter that won them a series of possessions. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And that's, again, going back to the how many ways can you win a game, it just it gives you margin for error. Right. Like, so if Steph does have a bad shooting night, like he had from three today, like you can compensate for it like reasonably without saying like, well, yeah, if that happens and then you get like this laundry list of stuff that has to go right then to compensate, that's like just never going to happen. Right. Not to necessarily bring this team back up, but like – it's like if Joel has a bad game for Philly, you could say like, yeah, well, but if Maxi does this and Harden does this and Tobias does this and so-and-so does this, it's like, well, what are the chances all those things are going to happen at the same game to compensate for Embiid having a bad one? Just probably not going to happen. But like Steph, again, had a bad shooting game for three. The Warriors just have so many different ways to win a game. And today, yeah, it really did feel like Wiggins, I think it's not just the pool shots, like or the points, but like the momentum of them. Like they all just felt like an another and one layup or the three he hit it into the third quarter were just like backbreakers every single time. It definitely felt like Pool kind of just took those, you know, like Steph you know, momentum swing shots that he normally takes during the games. It felt like those were going for him and like the crowd was just so ready for them. And so when they did fall, fall, it felt like a Steph Curry, like 32 footer, you know? And that was the third thing I was going to bring up more so than anything is like, when you say like the role guys or the other guys, like, again, it does take multiple of them. And so, yeah, Gary Payton um, was another one, but, Honestly, I I think the crowd was a factor. Like, yeah. you know, there's the they do the whole Warriors thing, and it's just like it's raining threes or just like whatever is going on. Draymond's doing his pump up thing. Like, it just felt like Boston just didn't have it. And honestly, their best run of the game is when all the Warriors fans were, you know, still eating hot dogs at halftime. Like, <laughs> they back to their seats. It's like, that's when they play their best there. But, like, once they those people got back, literally got back with four minutes left in the third quarter, then it swung back to Golden State. And maybe that's just coincidence, but it, it was just one of those, like, that crowd just let them hear it all day. Wiggins was doing all the hustle momentum, just – killer stuff pool was hitting the momentum shots you're right gary payton jr between his defense and just enough offense like just it's like you you can't let that happen 
But if you're Boston, like you know, you have to give up something, and maybe that's just what you're willing to concede, I guess. But like, you're not going to get that lucky with Steph's three point shooting again. You're not yeah. going to get that lucky with you know Golden State at one point missing what was it like 14 straight threes in a game. Like, I know right. Boston ourselves missed 12 to start the game, but Golden State's probably not missing 14 in a row mid game. So. I don't, as like a Boston fan, I don't know what to do with all this information, but I will say Andrew Wiggins, like you kind of led with, like deserves a lot of the credit here. He didn't force it. It all just fell within the flow. Even the shots he missed all looked good. You know, I, I don't know what we do against him because right now we can't game plan for him. Like you right. can't be that high on the priority list, but I, you know, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, I mean, we know that like role players, um, you know, usually play better at home, especially during the playoffs, and that's been the case for the the big Golden State wins, you know, um, in this series in games two and five, um, you know, the role players really played well in those games. Um, so I don't, I don't know what to expect for Game Six from Wiggins because Game Three was really bad, but Game Four he was actually okay. Um, he had mm-hmm. some big, you know, rebounding uh, yeah. possessions um, for the Warriors, and that's been the biggest thing I think for Wiggins in the series has been his ability to rebound because when they've gone small, they've been able to keep Boston off the boards fairly well. Um, and man, it, like you said, you can't really prioritize Wiggins, especially on the offensive end. Um, but they, Boston has other good defenders, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. to to stick on he him outside of Brown, Tatum, and Smart. Yeah, because he'd get Derek White a couple times in the mid range, and he was kind of did the Tatum thing of like, I'm just gonna shoot over you. Yeah. Like, yep. Like, I'm not even gonna try and go all the way to the rim. Like I don't need to go meet Robert Williams down there. I was saying with Wiggins is he's still not a great passer, but he's not having to because there's no reason. Like, he still can't run a double at him, to be honest, because he can't leave anyone else. And then it, it's kind of like someone's just got to win the one-on-one matchup a little bit more. Besides just kind of hoping it doesn't go in. Right. Like Eric White, I mean, we were texting out Peyton Pritchard, like, basically, why is he out there? Derek White. It's kind of the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's since game one, it's not been a good series for Derek White. Um, the role and, players in Boston just have to match even the energy of Wiggins and Poole and Payton, if nothing else. Yeah, they really needed – Boston needed someone else because I think Brown and Tatum had good enough games um, for Boston yeah. to kind of swing, this, swing that game. Um and no one else really stepped up. Like it looked like a moment there in the third quarter that Smart could kind of step up and fill in um, some of that scoring and just energy, like you're saying. But it kind of fell off the back, or fell off the wagon there um, yeah. in the fourth quarter. Um, so I it feels like it feels like Horford hasn't really had an impact at all in this series outside of Game One. White is in the same conversation and. We've texted about this. It's like from game to game, 
like Williams and Williams. Like that's the, that's kind of the, the, I don't know, the bellwether of the series. I feel like I know it's the turn. We talk about turnovers for Boston. Um, but if like Grant Williams isn't playing well and Robert Williams is playing well, Boston's probably not winning a game. I thought Robert Williams was okay tonight, actually. Like, yeah, had some good finishes, you know, some big rebounds. I don't know if he, I don't know if he actually got a block in the game. He may have got one, but um, yeah, like he, he was good. He was fine. Grant Williams, it's like he doesn't want to shoot there. Yeah. Like, he, I mean, I'm seriously going to go look. Like, I feel like he's taken five shots in total in three games <laughs> at Golden State. Like, he doesn't shoot there. Like, it, it perplexes me because he's a good three point shooter. It just stands still, catch and shoot. And, it's just like he – I think Golden State just flies back out so fast at you. Yeah. And he just like – he's not trying to drive by anybody. And to be honest, Golden State, it's not just, you know, the one guy flying back at you. It's the second guy flying back at your first pass away, man. So you can't just, you know, quick one pass it to Marcus or Jalen or whoever. And I, I really just think Grant Williams, like – what he is able to do on offense in a very limited way is showing in this series and in Boston, he's been a little bit better, but I I just need him to be more confident in himself and not in the talking to the refs all game type of way in the, like, I'm just going to play basketball. Like I'm a good basketball player type of way. He just doesn't do it. Yeah. Grant Williams tonight, zero for one from three, one from two for the field. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just uh, not very aggressive. Didn't really do much. Um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, Jalen went zero for five from three. Uh, Horford went two of three from three. Tatum went five from nine. He had a good, good game from three point line. Marcus went three of six, and then that's really it. I mean. Pritchard got up three threes in under five minutes. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, the offense, that's, uh, that's the one thing that surprised me in games four and five is that like the offense production for Boston has just like ground to a halt. And we've seen this before this when the ball's not moving for this team it can kind of get ugly offensively. Um, and I what Udoka is going to say at the post game about our offense. Like, <laughs> ball didn't move, turned the ball over. I think part of this, and this, we'll kind of bring this back to the Warriors a little bit because I want to talk on them since they did win, is like they're really trying to go at Steph every time on defense. Yeah, and Steph or Poole or, yeah. Yeah. Like when Poole's out there, they go at Poole more so, but. Like when Steph's out there, they really do go at Steph every time. Like, but it's to the detriment of like, it's ten seconds left on the shot clock, and we finally got Steph switched on to Tatum or whatever. Mm. And the problem is, there's just no time left then to either let Tatum do what he wants to do or to drive, penetrate, kick, and let Jalen or Marcus or whoever do something with it then like because they they're feeling like okay i have to shoot it now because there's three seconds left on the clock 
you know, there's no second opportunity for them to drive and throw the lob to Robert Williams. There's no second chance for them to drive and find Derek White relocating to the corner, the one place he can shoot. You know, like, it's just they're taking so long to intentionally try and get Steph switched. And he's actually just doing a good job straight up anyway. Right. Yeah, like, they're just killing their own offense in the process. Instead of just playing their game, they're just hunting Steph. And we said Steph had a bad game shooting from three. He did. He didn't. It was like overnight. That's bad. But Steph had a really fantastic game finishing at the rim, passing the ball, you know, being a pretty good defender. Like maybe he could have got a call for a couple more fouls, but like, you know, the rest are calling a foul on Steph Curry in game five of the finals at home. Right. So. To me, it's more of a credit to Steph, but Boston needs to kind of do some own reflection. I'm like, this isn't our offense. Just, like, go to that moment, but don't literally every single time down the court go to that. It's just not working. And, yeah, it was a slodge. Like, the entire game, we got to, like, what, 84, 86 points when we pulled the starters with a minute and a half left. Yeah. That's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the the best Boston has been in the series when both teams been in the series when they've gotten out and pushed the pace. Um, that's that's been a point of emphasis for Steve Kerr and Adoka, like you said. Um, and I don't, man, it by game six you just don't have that many more adjustments. Both teams have kind of found their rotations. I think, you know, we saw some Peyton Pritchard tonight, but he played under five minutes. I don't. For game six, like if you're the Celtics, like the points have been the same all the playoffs, you know, like don't yeah. turn the ball over, you know, move the ball and play downhill. Um, and at some point, you just have to do that consistently enough to win back to back games, because <laughs> yeah. if Boston does does those things, they could be up three, two right now. Yeah, um, but we could shift it to the Warriors now and talk some more on how good they were because they were they were very good tonight um and like Steph like even Steph not having his best game like the the gravity of Steph Curry still showed up like even though he wasn't hitting threes like again the movement the handoffs everything to get him the looks and subsequently like the passes off of it were all there you know like it it still felt like a very you know, typical Warriors game, except like they just couldn't hit a three. You know, like that felt like one of those Golden State. If they just hit like, you know, five more threes, all of a sudden that score looks like a complete blowout. Yeah. It's a bigger, bigger score difference. Yeah. It felt like they didn't, the Warriors didn't go as much with the Curry high pick and roll in Definitely. this game. Definitely. Um, and so that was kind of interesting to see them go away from that. They they tried to really move the ball as much as they could against Boston. Maybe they sensed there was some, you know, exhaustion or, you know, the legs were tired for Boston um, towards, the, towards the end of this game. And that's why they decided, decided to go away from it. But um, Draymond was good again tonight. Like offensively, he it's not going to show up really in the – box score I don't think but he was aggressive he had a couple buckets um, pushed the pace a lot 
um, and transition and got to the Warriors some easier looks and easier buckets. Yeah. Um, so, I, man, I for the Warriors, you feel really good going into game six um, because it, you got the Steph Curry bad game out of the way without really much consequence. Yeah, winning the bad Steph Curry game, like, just feels like a death blow to the Celtics. Like, I mean, we were talking like over the weekend, if you can just get Steph to have an average game, win that one, and then you got to win one more, uh, you'd be feeling really good if you were Boston in that situation. But losing the average to bad Steph Curry game, now you got to go win two more. Right. It's disheartening because you know you're probably not going to get a chance like that again, like with that shooting of his, like again, cause he's the greatest shooter of all time. Like he's number one all time in NBA threes in the finals, like, and Clay's number two, you know, like you only get so many chances to, to get those guys at their home court. You got, you know, game one, but it, it just felt so important to get game five because now you're going to have to get game seven there. Right, which, uh, you know, I'm not a, not too much of a betting man. A little bit. I did hit a plus eleven fifty bet the other day, though. So <laughs> nice. Um, but anyway, but like, assuming you're gonna win like game one and seven at Golden State, like, you know, th- those would be long odds on that, and that's yeah. what Boston's gonna have to do now. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. This team has won games on the road um, in big situations um, this postseason. You know, the games that come to mind, Miami Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then Game 6, right, against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, or is that Game 7? No, six. Six. Whatever. Game 6. It all um, um, so, I mean, this team has it in them. Um, it's just a really tall task against a really experienced finals team. Um, how scared of you are you of uh, game six, Clay? I'll believe when I see it, to be honest. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's, just, it's the confidence you have to have, you know? Like, just keep playing him the way you've been playing him, and for the most part, it's been all right, you know? The, so the the one thing that I would say is that I would feel really good about putting Jalen Brown on uh, game six, Clay. Um, it looked like Jalen Brown was just all over the place defensively in a good way, um, in a really good way um, tonight. And play, I thought he played some really good defense. Um, but like you said, it's going to take quite an effort from the Boston Celtics. They're going to have to regroup and really focus in. Um they're going to have to figure out a way to get Tatum some easy buckets too. Um, the Warriors have been really good defensively on him. And that's another like, you know, hats off to Andrew Wiggins there. Um, yeah. He's been really good on Tatum this series. Yeah. I mean, it's like you look at the stat lines, Tatum and Brown were good today, you know? Right. 27 points from Tatum, right? Yeah. Led all scores. Yeah. Definitely stretches where Tatum was just like killing them. You know, and but this is something you brought up just now that we've talked about previously is it just never feels like Tatum gets put in like this is my spot. 
and I'm going to do this and you are not going to stop this. Right. He just doesn't have those moments. Like Wiggins had some of those moments tonight for Golden State. He's like, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly who I got on me. I know exactly what I'm doing. And ain't nothing you can do about it because you were too small. And with Tatum, it's just like, I don't know. Like He just doesn't have like a consistent mid-range thing, even though he's a, a in theory, a great mid-range player, weirdly enough. I'm like, I'm going here. I'm, I'm doing this. Like Jalen's kind of his own kind of wild thing. But that's the thing. We just, we got to get Tatum, find a way. I don't know what kind of play design. I don't know what it is. Like We got to get Tatum, the ball, somewhere where he can do something with it that he is extremely comfortable and can kind of play out of it. And he's obviously a great passer. So him passing out of kind of that mid-range, you know, high post, whatever, like he he could be really successful from the facilitation standpoint of this, but we've got to get him something easier than just, you know, switched on to Curry or clay on the wing and saying, all right, go do your thing now. Yeah. I'm tired of watching this again. And he's very good at it. I'm tired of watching it when our offense is just in desperate need of something else. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah. The, those, those, even those times when he gets a smaller defender, like pool or Curry, like Wigan, like the spacing for the Celtics have kind of been bad on those possessions. And like, they haven't really cleared that side of the floor for him enough uh, because Wiggins can still come double. And there was a couple turnovers tonight based off those doubles where Tatum just kind of spent spun in to help defend, help defender and turn the ball over. Um, And you would, I would think there would be an adjustment by now for that. Um, whether that's like a pin down action on the other side of the court to maybe get, you know, the defense moving on that side of the floor, the weak side of the floor. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I would think that, you know, there would be some offensive adjustments that Boston could make um, to make some looks easier for Tatum. I feel like the mid range shots for him have just been, way short the last couple of games. Um, and a lot of that's because, you know, there hasn't been a lot of space to kind of – I feel like he's a dribble too far out still on some of those yeah. mid-range shots, that he's, those turnaround mid-range. So um, maybe there's a way to get him back into his, like you're saying, comfort zone. Um, so and like, yeah, I don't want to act like I have all the answers here, but like either – we just need to get him, yeah, set up further down the court, like in that post mid-range. Or I, we just got to get more creative with how we're getting him the ball, maybe. Like, like one yeah. of the points I had here is, like, Al's just not touching the ball anymore. Like, it's not that he's playing worse than he did, like, game one, where he was incredible. And, again, not that I expect game one Al Horford to, like, show back up to, you know, next game, but – he just doesn't touch it anymore. Like he's had a couple like nice drive, like out of the corner, whether he went baseline or goes middle, like where he passes and, you know, sprays it out to the other side to like a wide open shooter out of there. Like he's just getting no touches anymore. Unless it's like catch and shoot only. And even those like 
I mean, he's not even getting the reps right now. We talk about Grant Williams not shooting. I did look it up. He shot six times at Golden State in three games, by the way. <laughs> it's like With nothing. Hollywood, like he's not getting the looks. He's not even the passes. Like no, I know he's not nearly as talented as what I'm about to say, but like can we not run some Jokic like stuff here? Like I know he's not gonna make all the passes Jokic does, like obviously, but can we not do something to just get the ball in his hands a little more? Let's pull Draymond or let's pull Looney, you know, away from the basket more. Let's get into something. And maybe it's the same thing we're wanting to do just in a different way. Just so that way it mixes up the looks and it forces Golden State to think a little more or, you know, just hesitate or something. Because it not only get help get Allen more involved in the game, but it just it's going to make Golden State's life just a little bit harder. And you can do that. You you're going to just break them down on both ends of the court and it's going to take time, but I don't know. Like I trust Al Horford with the ball at the top of the key saying, make a read, dribble handoff, pass ball screen out of it. Like do something besides just stand on the wing. He's too good. He's too smart of a basketball player to be relegated there whenever he could create a lot more for us. At this point, like I trust him with the ball more. I trust like Derek White with the ball. <laughs> yeah, uh, that uh, that's a great point. Is that it feels like you know Tatum's been trying to create all of the offense for Boston at times um, in the last couple of games, um, and he he has to trust his teammates. You know, he has to trust the Al Horfords and trust that he can initiate some offense and it if he feels like smart like he had some some place tonight where he was initiating but it felt like it was a lot of brown and tatum which like you want that at this point but you also need like some change of pace like you need like that's how you conserve your energy um you know over stretches of the game it doesn't feel like tatum and brown trust their teammates enough um in these spots yet to you know, allow Al Horford to get those like high post touches um, to create you know off ball looks for them or um, you know and, and maybe that's said, yeah same reason I said Tatum didn't pass in the first place like before he became the great facilitator if you remember that's why I said like I just don't think he trusts his teammates or he's like you guys suck how am I gonna pass? <laughs> Like, you want me to pass the ball to Dennis Schroeder? You want me to pass the ball to him? Yeah, and, like, literally, it's just like a, no, whatever I'm going to do is literally a better shot. And and he was right, to be honest. But it kind of feels like we're slipping back into those habits, you know. Talk about more Boston bad habits here. The last point, and then we'll move on to game six. We we just got to quit with the refs. I'm done with this. Mm. Like Udoka, his tech again kind of felt like the doing this on purpose type of a thing. Yeah. Marcus getting the tech. I mean, he that was, was the lamest tech, by the way. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. just gonna throw that out there. go get the game under control. You gotta have a breaking point at some point. Like. Shut up. You're officiating Draymond on the other side. <laughs> it does feel like in in those cases, it's felt wildly different. 
Yeah, like, and I, like Draymond, like following Boston to the bench, like you know him and what was it Gary Payton, you know Junior, like in Tatum, like all the way through, like into the Celtics huddle and the ref, like which again Tony Brothers and the Celtics, not a lot of uh, love lost there either way. Um, like just kind of walks him out of there, and it's like yeah. I texted you, like there's no way in hell that would have been allowed. That was Marcus and. Derek White, you know, with Steph Curry going into the Warriors huddle, you know, doing that. Like, I've been a T so fast. Right. Like, that's like an extreme thing. Like, the refs weren't on your side. And, like, I get it, whether it's the actual tech on Marcus or that not one on Draymond. But, like, it's, we've talked about this before, right? It's every single drive to the basket that Boston doesn't get a foul call. It's Tatum, Tatum looking around, Brown looking around, Marcus Smart. looking around, yeah. yeah, like, and then it's like, yeah, guess who's on the other end of running, sprinting down the court? Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and they're getting a wide open three. Yep. Like, even though you're like, well, I got back on a contest. It's like, well, you got back, you ran through it, and he sidestepped you, and then he took the three. Okay, it doesn't matter. Right. You just got to square him up and shut him down for – you know, two seconds and then make them reset their offense. That's what you need to do. And it's it's frustrating at this point. It's been frustrating forever, but it's like you don't understand how much it matters to play both ways. And you don't understand the referees. They're like there's no real makeup calls in the finals. Like right. they're just they're going to keep calling it the way they're going to keep calling it. Like they're not going to like change course mid game. It's just going to be how it is for that day. So like you should realize about four minutes into the game, because you should have gone to the basket about three times already by that point, what the refs are going to do. Right. And if you can't deal with that, then you're just honestly not mentally tough enough to win the NBA finals. Not saying talent, not saying skill, not saying game plan. You're just not mentally tough enough to win the NBA Finals. Mm. And that might just be it with Boston. Like, it's not just, you know, the turnovers. It's, like, that you just are just throwing the ball away. It's not just that you, you know, missed another freaking layup. It's that you look at the ref every time. It's not just that you missed a free throw. It's that we missed nine free throws in a game where we needed anything we could get to kind of get us going. Needed 10 points. That was yeah. the difference. Like it's uh, – you can see it when the camera pans to it. Like the like Daniel Tice has like the ref pulled over to him like during a free throw or, you know, whatever. It's like Daniel Tice ain't even playing and he's in the ref's ear. Right. Uh, I'm not saying I necessarily hate that, but just like and you hear all the stories about how Grant Williams will never freaking shut up on the court, <laughs> off the court, like yelling at the refs. And it's like, yeah, guess what? If you already know Tony Brothers ain't your biggest fan, yelling <laughs> at him. Yeah, you think barking at him for 48 minutes is going to help? Yeah, yeah. Like at some point, like you, like what I want them to, like, a coach or someone to do is pull back up the Miami tape and show them how Jimmy Butler acts. Like that right. dude was 
free throw line 14 times a game, it felt like. And he rarely did the whole, like, you know, you cross your arms and you throw them and you, you know, throw on like your pouty face. Like Jimmy Butler was just like, he didn't get it. He was just stone face and he hustled his butt back. He's like, what, 32 years old? Yep. Like, come on. And our guys like are 25, 26, 27, and they're all like up in arms about every single thing. It's like, guess they're just not, even if it is a foul every single time, Golden State could smack the crap out of you every single time. Refs just aren't going to call foul every single time. Like, just they're just not going to. Right. They're not going to call the push off. They're not going to call, you know, the left arm extended. Yeah. You could literally foul every single possession if you wanted to for the defense. You're getting called for like one out of every three. And eventually it's going to add up and be too much. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, you play through the, and you just need to learn to, when you get a call, great. If you don't get a call, that's what you expect. Right. Boston just doesn't, Tatum and Brown and Smart in particular, just they don't play that way. They don't, they expect everything to get called. And so when nothing gets called, they just, let's just be honest, they don't know how to handle it right now. Yep. Change for game six. That could be different for game seven. Obviously, I'm praying that it is. <laughs> but I've seen this for, what, five years now? I know what's going to happen. So unless someone just goes nuclear for us, the, this one aspect is not changing. It's the worst thing to watch as a basketball fan who actually knows what we're talking about. Yep. Yep. I, um, moving into game six adjustments. Let's talk Golden State, and then we can touch on Boston. Um, if you're Golden State, what do you what do you do to prep for Game Six? Do you do you change anything? It feels like you have some really good momentum going into Game Six. I'm not changing a ton. If I'm Golden State, I would say really keep working that short roll or slip, and not even necessarily in ball screens, just like any you know screen. So right now Boston's doing the switch everything. And even if it's like a, you know, ball's top of the key, run a little pin down or whatever, and it's coming up, like that screener should be slipping every time or, you know, showing every time at the very least because you're getting a defender on your back naturally when that happens, if they're going to switch like Boston does, you know, two-thirds of the time. So it you know, make the refs call fouls down there, like with you having like probably a smaller guard on your back. Or if you're Golden State, like maybe that puts Jalen or Jason in a position where you have to guard Draymond five feet away from the basket. Don't get called for a foul, even though you know he's going to flail his arms and the refs are going to be enticed. Like I'm Golden State, whether it's a ball screen or not, that short roll or slip look, I, I think you just keep looking for that a ton, even more than you have been. Because it's been really effective when they've done it. Um, and if you're going to stay, do more things, you can just keep going at the offensive rebounds. Yep. Because right now what's happening is Jalen and Jason aren't really rebounding at this point just because they're so gassed about having to do everything on offense. And that's where they're really killing it is anytime those guys get, you know, buried down in the post trying to fight for rebound or 
you know, Robert Williams went to the block. One of them does help over. Well, then no one helps his man. Yep. I'd say if you're Golden State, like, till Boston gets five guys rebounding, just keep going. Like, you're winning that so drastically. And Boston at this point is just not pushing hard enough in transition to make you pay for crashing the offensive glass. So it doesn't matter. Just go for it. And then the last thing is just contest him tighter. Like, you just got to make him dribble more, to be yeah. honest. But dr- essentially yeah. drive him off the three-point line. Make, yeah. him, make him drive to the basket, which kind of sounds insane. Because at this point in time, he doesn't finish well inside. He's not that comfortable going to, like, if you run him off the line, going to, like, a one-dribble pull-up or two-dribble or whatever. Like, he, he just wants to sidestep you and still take the three. So I think just, like, the wild running at him isn't a great idea because you're, you're going to let him do exactly what he wants to do. Right. Right. I think, yeah, just short, choppy steps, really get up in his airspace. And it's kind of the same way we talk about, like, how you have to guard Durant. It's, like, you just need a strong, low center of gravity guy who can still get a somewhat hand up to contest and just get in his airspace, you know? Yeah. Like, just being honest, like, Tatum just doesn't seem to have the handle right now to deal with that. Jalen Brown especially doesn't seem to have the handle to deal with that. So, I think that's what you do. You know, Van Gundy on the broadcast, (coughs) send him left, send him left, send him left. That's kind of (coughs) – but I think they're good enough shooters to where if you send them left but you're two steps off, like, it's just not going to work out for you. So, sure, send them left, send them right, whatever, but be in them to make them, like, have to be so tight with their handle that I just don't think they can do it right now to get fluidly into their shot or, you know, on the money and on time with a pass. Like, I just don't think they can do it right now. So, if I'm going state, that's kind of my mindset of how to approach. Just some – I mean, you're, you're not changing much at this point, but just, like – the small mindsets or tweaks to to do for game six. Yeah, I would definitely go back to a little more Steph Curry high pick and roll, see if you can get him rolling early in game six um, in terms of hitting shots. Um, Because if you get Steph going early, you know, that could set the tone for game six pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, And then going over Boston. So a few things here. Let's put three notes again. Said you have to find ways to initiate dribble penetration into the paint more. Like right now, Golden State's doing a phenomenal job of cutting them off before they get to the paint. Right. Boston, like if you can't get a foot in the paint, then Golden State's not going to help off enough to get the corner kickouts. And that's where all those like crappy Tatum Brown turnovers are happening or when they're happening is when they think help's going to come. But it's like, if you're not going to get at least a foot in or near the paint, the help's going to be like somewhat showing, but not enough to where you can get the passing, you know, windows where you want them to, to hit your kickouts. So if you're Boston, you have to do a better job of getting Golden State moving side to side, then get by the north and south to get a paint touch and then figure out, are you shooting? Are you laying up? Are you kicking out? What are you doing from here? 
Um, but they've got to do better about getting dribble penetration, not getting stopped, free throw line extended every single time. Um, I kind of talked about it earlier. I said they've got to do a better job spraying back in mm. transition. Like, again, probably that's the refs thing, but just like that, it's how Steph gets going, it's how Poole gets going, it's how Clay gets going. <clears throat> you just have to, it's like, you miss, you make, whatever. You're just busting your butt back and you've got to find them early. Like, the, just the more time they have to figure out what they want to do how they're going to do it like the worse it is for you so you got to get back early cut them off square them up and force them to do something else besides just at that point it gets layup lines for them from three though yeah and then i mean the most obvious thing is just gonna say take care of the basketball less than 16 turnovers matt that's the goal that's the stat yeah I, I can say that all day long. I don't know if it really matters. <laughs> they play the way they play, Ryan. And it's sometimes super cool. It's sometimes infuriating. For me, it's borderlines more on infuriating, but I try and let it go. But there's seven turnovers a game. That's just like, who else would do that? You know? Yeah, yeah. So, Maybe it's just – it's not kind of all the turnovers. It's cut out, like, the four or five that, like, just absolutely do not have to happen that no other team would do right now. Those are the ones we've got to cut out more than anything. Yeah, just the passes into the crowd. Like, the miscommunication on where where you're going to be um, just is kind of wild to me. Like, at this point in the season, like, you'd feel like you had that a pretty good grasp on uh, – all of that, but you know, maybe maybe that's a, a making a big assumption there. But uh, you can't just have like three passes a game just going into the crowd, and those are be- like those type of turnovers are better than the live ball turnovers that just absolutely kill you against Golden State. Yes, because it gives you at least a chance to go set your defense, but it's still again, terrible. I'm- uh, that's actually. I'm still not even worried about our defense. Like I'm really not. Like yeah. I mentioned earlier, like I mean, what the final score was like 104-94. Like I don't know, didn't give up a hundred points to their starters. To be honest, like that's pretty good. Yeah, so. I mean, you gotta. I mean, it, it's it's the offense, right? That's the thing that's yeah. holding Boston back right now. But. um I'm excited for game six. Oh, should be. It's going to be a fun. One. It's going to be a fun one. Um, I, uh, I'm, I hope the series goes seven because I just want more basketball. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want the season to be over. Yeah. I was like, not ready for it. Um, so we're moving on to topic number two, some draft talk, Matt. Um, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Just, just some draft, maybe trade talk um i know i know drafts coming up and it's it's like your christmas it's your christmas in july or in june whatever whatever month we're in yeah i I don't even know anymore um (laughs) yeah so what we'll do we're gonna keep this kind of big picture still so not doing the full dive in yet just again still finals on the mind um but 
want to talk about some win now teams since we're talking about the finals, you know, winning time, talk about some win now teams and uh, what they might be willing to do in their picks. And so what we'll do is we'll kind of respond as to whether we think giving up the pick and just like kind of some of these proposed deals is would be worth it for either team. So really what we're trying to do here is kind of figure out what's the value of these picks and like, in what way could, should they be included in maybe some trade talks? So we'll start as high up in the draft as we felt like, which was Sacramento at four, right? They're the big one, like, oh, the draft starts in Sacramento. One, I don't know if that's entirely true. It's probably true, but I don't know if it's entirely true. You tell me, okay, so you're Houston does something wild. But anyway, not neither here nor there right now. <laughs> but Ryan... Just from the Sacramento side and the side of the other team. Bradley Beal for Harrison Barnes, number four, and stuff. Maybe that's future picks, future swaps. I mean, if if you're Sacramento, that's the deal. I mean, this is the type of player you want, right? You've been you've been, you know, an all-star caliber, all NBA type of guy in Sacramento. Um I mean, if if that deal's on the table and Washington's willing to swing it, like you got to pull the trigger. Like at some point, like you're Sacramento. You haven't made the playoffs in twenty years. I like yeah. I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, Beal brings offense, of course. So what he's known for. I I would hate giving up too much draft capital, but. If you're Sacramento and you don't absolutely love someone at four, maybe Brad Beal like is kind of the one of those like, okay, we just need a top twenty-five NBA player like for certain. Mm. And Sabonis is probably that, maybe that I don't know. Maybe top thirty for Sabonis. I don't care about doing the rankings right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you gotta <laughs> think why we do it that way though. Yeah, you got to think that Beal and Sabonis and Fox together should get you to the playoffs. I don't know what what form of the playoffs you you may yeah. still be like the seven eight seed, um, but you should be definitely in contention for the playoffs with that core. And it would kind of help release some of the pressure from Brad Beal about having to handle the ball all the time, right? Sabonis and do some stuff with him. You can give it to Fox and do you know let him do his thing. So. It'd be a guard to help him out like he hasn't had in Washington in a while. It's honestly going to be a big, like, yes, head in Washington in a while to help him out too. So if I'm Sacramento, I'd probably do the deal, to be honest. Yeah. Just admit you don't draft well and move on. Um, right. If you're Washington, again, I guess it would just depend on how much stuff and how much extra, but – Hey, number four pick to help reset your franchise, take a Jaden Ivey to be your next John Wall type, you know, super speed, super athlete and stuff. And Washington would still have like, I think they have like the 10th pick. So you'd have another young guy coming in. You know, you still have Rui and Denny Avdia, Daniel Gafford. Like you still have some guys. So you're probably not a playoff team next year, but you could be, you know, one of those good, young, fun teams. So I think both sides should do this deal. But Yes. Yeah, I agree. 
I you could tell me Washington honestly thinks it's not enough, and that's just delusional. But that's on them. I mean, um, what what is that? This may be a bigger discussion for another time. But like, what's Brad Beal's market? Like realistically, like with what's available and what contracts are available, like are you getting more than a Sacramento deal like this? I don't know if that's the case. And you probably like to assume if you're Washington, like those picks are still going to be pretty good. Yeah, right. You know, find ways, but like you, I wouldn't say you would knowingly get a top three pick for Brad Beal. You know, it's be one of those like, Oh wow, that pick just somehow awesome landed in the top three. Right. Like that you get from, but like no one knowing they have pick one, two, or three would ever trade that for Brad Beal at this point. So whether it's this year's draft, next year's draft, the year after draft, like it's just, it's just not happening. So yeah, this is probably the best you can get realistically. If you're trying to go for kind of like the young guy reset, if you're going mm. for like the Indiana San Antonio reset, then maybe this isn't you know your best deal because you know you don't want it structured on draft picks. But man, those Kings draft picks, whether you end up being the one using them or not, they're going to have value then later. Yeah, that that's a great point. Is that their revalue on the market or whatever you know trade talks you want regift it? Yeah, are like you know. The, those freaking Brooklyn picks from that Boston got, you right. know, they're kind of just invaluable. You think an organization, you know, teams know the value value of those Kings pick. They've all been in the lottery, right, over the last twenty years. Like you're guaranteed, it's the best best thing at getting into the lottery is a Kings first round pick. Yeah, exactly. All right, here's one more for the Kings. Would you do? DeJounte Murray and number nine for Harrison Barnes and number four. It was trade with the Spurs. The Spurs, you get Barnes and number four. Again. If I'm if I'm San Antonio, I don't think that's enough for Murray. Mm. Like what what okay, so like if I fall in love with Jaden Ivy at four, is like the ceiling for Jaden Ivey, what I have in Murray now, like what, like what, what's the, like, what's the outcome on the other side of that four pick? Um, I, I would rather have Murray now, I think, and to build around. Yeah. I think I would also want more from Sacramento. Like, I mean, not. I don't want to dive too deep in it. So this is more just kind of generally assessing value here. I think I agree, but if you're San Antonio, you're kind of starting to get a log jam there um, yeah. with all the young wings they have between your guards and wings between Murray. They drafted Josh Primo. They have Keldon Johnson, who we like. You know, Devin Bissell's another one. Like, They've already got kind of like four guys for three spots. And they have another, you know, top 10 pick this year. I I mean, maybe there's like, yeah, we're just going to take our pick and draft a long-term center and go home. I don't, I don't know what their thoughts are, but you might want to start thinking, okay, we, we can get rid of one of these guys. 
what's the best value we could get for DeJounte or whomever? I, I mean, if I'm the Spurs, like I'd want to at least start the conversation about number four for DeJounte because those other guys still feel like they're a long ways away. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's an interesting idea. I, I feel like it, you know, how you're saying, like, you wouldn't get a top three pick for Beal. I also don't feel like you'd get a top three pick for Murray. So yes. maybe this is like a really good deal. Like, are you, like, could you get, I don't know if, like, maybe a deeper draft you could get number four for Murray, but like, I don't know. That's also a good point. It was like, is this an apex deal for Murray? Um, Cause you're not necessarily, you might be able to flip him for like a top star, but I don't know. Yeah. There's not a guarantee that. And you know, just came off the all-star, right? So he's going to, I mean, unless you think he's getting significantly better, like he, this is probably his value peak. Yep. For at least probably the next like four years. So if you want to do it, like this might be the time. Again, I don't know if I would do it. If I'm San Antonio, I'd probably, yeah, ask for more, like you said, but it's there. If I'm Sacramento, like, yeah, give me DeJounte a nine. Like, right, right. That. I would trade back, yeah, in a heartbeat for DeJounte. Yeah, yeah 100%. Okay, let's move on to Indiana. They're at pick number six. Again, kind of in the weird spot of like they have Brogdon, they have Turner, you know, they didn't get TJ Warren this year. You know, they they have guys still. Ryan, just gonna start out with a blazer, uh, not not the point. <laughs> Big one here. Malcolm Brogdon and number six to Utah for Donovan Mitchell. Who Ooh. says? I think Utah says no. I think Utah says no because they w- they would want more for Mitchell. I know it would be you know more stuff here, but like sure, yeah, this is kind of the premise of the deal. Yeah, yeah. like it, it would be more stuff. pick swaps and you know different contracts to make it all work. But um, if you're thinking about you know building around Rudy, is Malcolm Brogdon that best fit? to build around Rudy because this is what the Utah Jazz would be doing. Um, I don't know if Brogdon necessarily would be. um, He's not bad fit. He's just not the best. I don't think um, would be next to, you know, next to Gobert. Um, I love that for Indiana though. Like you have, you know, you go out and get a premier score on the perimeter um, and, you know, your Brogdon investment, cashes out kind of here um and i don't i don't know for indiana do you need another young guy it feels like they've kind of done this cycle of bringing in young guys sending them out the fun thing about this is like mitchell and tyrese halberton you know are the guard combos there in indiana um and that could be a lot that's what you build around for the next you know five six years right right um and that feels like it could you know, I don't know if it's a deep playoff run team, but it feels like it's in that Bulls category of team. Um, I guess you could throw the 76ers in there almost of yeah. just like middle tier Eastern Conference teams. And that's a good spot to be. 
Yeah, and so again, kind of the idea behind even pitching this one is like, also if you're Indiana, like you just need a guy, like to be yeah. honest. Like, yeah. Albert kind of, you know, kind of got some folklorness to him, you know, but <clears throat> like you need a true dude, and maybe this is the wake up call for Donovan Mitchell, like. Like Rick Carlisle will give you the ball, but like you, you got to earn it too, though. Mm. So yeah, I, I wonder if like this is a all basketball, you know, good basketball city, good place to play, good coach, good organization. To be honest, if like that's kind of the come on, we need the Donovan Mitchell like we all thought we had in the bubble. You mm. know? Um. Okay. Here's just another one. This is this is gonna hit a little closer to home for you, Ryan. Um, okay. The Pacers send number six to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So you're gonna keep your your number two pick, Ryan. Okay. Keep your number six pick, and you're gonna get the number six pick. But you got to give them Baisley, Trey Mann, Kenneth Williams, and number twelve. Where can they call this into the league office now? <laughs> You cool with this? Uh, man, uh, Baisley better be finding a place in Indianapolis to live <laughs> because I, I'm in love with this idea. Um, I've been, we've been talking on and off about this. I think the Thunder should go get another top 10 pick if they can. Um, they have the draft draft capital to do it. Um, I think it's a good draft to do it in. And, you yeah, know, consult- another pick in that deal, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. You got like 40 of them over the next seven drafts, so it doesn't really Another matter. Another one from uh, Denver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just, you know, consolidate some of the young guys. Um, you know, Baisley, I think it could have a really nice year. Man's, you know, proven to be a good scorer. Um, and, you know, Kenny Hustle has some good value. So I, nothing like egregious here. It just kind of depends on who you fall in love with at six. Um, yeah, it was a good pick from last year. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great point. Getty went, went to six. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you get the sense that someone, I don't know, who's seven? Who's sitting at seven right Portland. now? Portland. If you're no, like, we'll talk about the next, what they're going to do. If your guy is, you know, a projected, if Portland, if you get the sense that Portland's really going to go, after a guy you fall in love with, then yeah, I mean, absolutely pull the trigger on this deal. Yeah. So I again probably would have to throw in like another future first year, but like I kind of like for both teams. I mean, you just talked on the OKC side of it. Like again, you're at this point, you're trying to accumulate top end talent in yep. OKC. You're trying to get guys. You're Indiana, like you can still get a pretty good player at 12, but like to get three rotation players like indiana does not have good depth mm. like, you know like tj mcconnell is like their best and basically only bench player so like o'shea Brissett, it's like their backup small forward like needs some help like for real so <laughs> you get another backup guard and trade man who can you know create a little basely kenrich williams have shown some good defensive flashes, basically shown some nice offensive flashes of creation. Kenrich Williams can catch and shoot from three. Like, I don't know, to get three rotation players and maybe you can work out a little extension with Kenrich Williams pretty cheap. Um, 
and number and you still get number 12 and if you're indiana and you like you don't love who's at six like yeah, just move back then a few spots and yeah there's still gonna be useful players at 12 and maybe it's an older player if they want an older player like ochai baji coming out of kansas if they still want to go for like okay let's get a young guy here develop him while we have the other guys playing you know there's there can be plenty of freshmen in this draft so i i think this would be a kind of a good move for both i don't it, it would need another pick or two maybe a swap mm. right to get this deal done from okc going to indiana but i could see something like this for indiana it's this would be very on brand for them i don't know how many other teams would do that deal but i feel like indiana might yeah i mean like you said i think the depth is the thing for indiana <clears throat> um and you know i i like basely i think he's gonna have a good good season this next year and um I think he could be a really good stretch four in the upcoming year. Yeah. So um, I yeah, like this deal a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like this deal a lot uh, for both yeah. sides. All right, let's go to Portland next. Again, Portland seven. Again, everyone talking like, what are they going to do? Are they actually going to draft? Are they want to trade? I mean, I think they just need anything at this point. They kind of suck. So, uh, <laughs> Jesus. I do. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, okay, Ryan. First one. Malik Beasley, Nas Reed, and number 19. My Pitt. boy Malik. Yes, uh, that one's in here. Um, yeah, I mean, guy. I like it for Portland. Um, they're another team that kind of doesn't have great depth. Um, so you get uh, Malik Beasley here. Um, who I think can be a nice jump start. I mean, he's not necessarily a, a you know rotation playoff guy, maybe um, consistently, but he can give you 15 minutes in the playoffs for sure, especially if that's your aspirations. Yeah. Um, Nas Reed, you know, nice big man. Um, and I, 19, is that doing much? I don't know. You know, maybe not, but again, maybe if there's the older guy that you feel like can step in right away and be like, you know, a backup shooting guard or someone, you know? Yeah. I think this deal, this deal would need to be made in tandem with something else and going and getting like another star. Like if you're needing more assets or more contracts to get build up towards that, um, you know, star player. Yeah, I could see this one. I I don't love this one either for Portland. I don't think I would do it. But what might entice me is if I again all the thing is like Portland needs front court help. They need a small forward or a power forward, right? Right. They have Dame. They have Anthony Simons. They're apparently gonna bring back Nurkic based off of everything the GM's saying. So like you have those three spots locked down. You need someone at the forward spot, both forward spots. If there's, you know, the obviously there's the top three guys in the draft. They're not getting them. And then, you know, if you want, like, Jeremy Sohan out of Baylor. And OKC is like, nope, that's our guy. We're trading up to six. We're taking him. Then you're like, well, there's not another forward in this draft we love until, like, 13. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying. Right, right. 
Right. So what are we supposed to do here? So maybe they would trade back. Maybe 19's too far. You're right. But like if their guy, you know, quote unquote, their guy is gone. I, if you're going to draft, if you're Portland, like I get moving back some. Now maybe this other deal, again, probably not good enough, but what about Laurie Markinen and pick number 14 from Cleveland go into Portland in exchange for pick number seven? Another one probably needs more attached from Cleveland going to Portland. I think I like this a little bit more. I mean, like you said, it kind of gives them some more versatility in their big man situation. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Zach Collins, like the Zach Collins role for them, what they, they were trying to, to be. Yeah, yeah, what they wanted him to be. Markinen's not the greatest rim protector and not greatest defender in space, but like yeah. – on a realistic level, like he's gonna win any regular season games. He can um, shoot. And he can know. shoot. He can stretch the floor. Like if you're playing with Nurkic, like if you plan on sticking with Nurkic, like, yeah, absolutely. Like I think this is a deal that makes sense. And especially if you don't love someone at seven or you feel like you, you know your guys have been taken. Um it, it you're still kind of in that lottery, so you're still getting some good talent. Yeah. It's it's not a bad deal. Like, I think I would think more about this than the one you originally pitched. Yeah, I think I would too. And so, yeah, if you're going to get a young guy, feels like a legit young guy still at 14 rather than 19. You know, right. kind of, it just, it sounds different, right? Like 14, 19. So, yeah, I, I think if I'm Portland, I'd try and ask for a teeny bit more. Maybe just try and squeeze out one more like bench player that you feel like could be useful. Again, Portland, similar to Indiana, just has no good depth. Like mm. they just any help they can get. So maybe try and squeeze out one more piece since Cleveland does have not an overabundance, but a good amount of young bench talent. Like no stars, but Lamar Stevens or you know Isaac Okoro. Like, could you steal one of them, maybe? Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, could Portland poke around, you know, Colin Sexton if Cleveland decided that they decided, you know, to move on from him? Could they package, find a way to get Markinen and Sexton? You know, but then, like you said, there's not a lot of depth for Portland to send assets out. So um, it's kind of a fine line to walk there. It is. Um, okay, let's move on to eight. So New Orleans. For the record, pretty much all these teams, but New Orleans included. I'm cool with all these teams just like using their pick. Like just draft a guy, you know. Right. But right. New Orleans, again, they out of all of them, they're probably the most wide open of like we can do whatever we want here. <laughs> like they don't have to feel pressured into doing anything. Mm. Uh, Again, like the season ended, it was kind of gravy, right? You had the whole young guy movement of Alvarado and Herb Jones and Trey boy Murphy. Trey Murphy. Yeah, um, number ten on my board last year. Um, <laughs> obviously, Brandon Ingram. Call I called for him to be All NBA, and it pulled mm. out in the playoffs. Felt very good about that. Um, CJ was a great trade. Like, just call it what it is. So, yep. Um, so I, I really feel like they can 
keep the pick. I'm cool with them trading the pick and kind of getting a guy with it. Um, Zion should be coming back now. First one, again, I, I don't know if this would be a good idea or not to actually do this deal, but just value proposition here. DeAndre Aiden hates it in Phoenix. Just, <laughs> doesn't want to be there anymore. I don't blame him. I don't want to I don't want to work for Robert Sarver either. So sign and trade DeAndre Aiden to New Orleans for Yon Valentinus, Devontae Graham, number eight. I'm sure Phoenix says absolutely no. I don't I don't know if Phoenix says absolutely no. I think they would because I think they think they should get a heck of a lot more than that. I, I don't mean think what, that's what they think. Yeah, I I mean, if Aiton, like, if the reports are true, like, Aiton and the Suns, it's, it's like, over, over. Like, there's, it's a bad relationship now. Um, like, you get a good center. Like, you're still taking advantage of Chris Paul. Like, you're trying to fill that Aiton role as much as possible. Devontae Graham can give you some offense and what we saw what was needed from Phoenix is some instant offense and number eight, like number eight is nothing, nothing to sneeze at. Um, And that could be, you know, a good pick to kind of thread this needle with some young talent. And and this roster being expensive too. Yes. Guys on some rookie deals. Still contending. And, you know, for new Orleans, I don't know if you necessarily need Aiton. If you have Zion, um, but like it would, it gives you versatility, gives you a different style of play. The only thing, the one thing I would be worried about if I'm New Orleans, if I'm pulling the trigger on this, is like who unlocks, who on this roster unlocks DeAndre Ayton? And yeah. well, we've just never had seen CJ like get the reps. To be right. like on the point guard running, you know, 50 pick and rolls. Right. And maybe, you know, Ingram and, you know, the aggregate of Ingram and McCollum could unlock Aiden. Um, but, it, you know, that's something you would have to be very conscious of. But maybe it also kind of forces Aiden to be like, look, we need you to get on the Joel track, not the. You know, <laughs> Not the, run, not the Clint Capella track. Like, right. We're going to force you to like get the ball and do something. You know? Right. So right. I don't know if this is at all realistic. I don't know if either team, like what they would actually say. I'm just, for the sake of just kind of talking to that. I, 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 do, I don't hate the idea. I don't either. I don't, I don't either. Um, okay. Again, just wanted to get them in here. Again, trying to assess value. Michael Porter Jr. from Denver. Yeah, we talked at the top about Denver might be up to something. Michael Porter Jr. to New Orleans for Larry Nance, Devontae Graham, and number eight. Who says no? I think some guys play here and some guys don't play. I think New Orleans says no. Wow. I think New Orleans says no. Because I would value, I mean, like, you kind of know the medicals on Michael Porter at this point, right? Yeah. Hey, I get it. He, so, 
I, I, I like Larry Nance. I would rather have Larry Nance in number eight than MPJ. I'm a if crazy you, person. I know. If you're star hunting, you take Michael Porter Jr. Oh, for sure. But for sure. If you're New Orleans, I'd probably say no also because he's not going to be a guy that just like seamlessly fits with Brandon Ingram. Right. He's not gonna be a guy that just seamlessly fits with Zion. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like a 2K. With, but it's not going to be like just this perfect, oh my God, type of match there. Yeah. In a 2K like perfect world, you could play like CJ McCollum and, you know, fill in a shooting guard like Jose Alvarado or, you know, another guard. And then, you know, Ingram, MPJ, and Zion. But like that, that team's super light defensively, not very yeah, good rebounding. Um, so like in stretches, that lineup could work. But like I think there's more questions uh than answers after this trade if you were to pull the trigger on this. And one last reason I'd say no, if you're New Orleans, you can't have two massive contracts tied up in the injury riddled legs and backs of Michael Porter Jr. and Zion Williamson. Yep. Yep. That's another that's another underscoring thing about anything with New Orleans is that you have uh the Zion extension this offseason. Yeah. So you gotta you have to account for it. All right. Last one here. Uh, so yeah, I have I have Atlanta here. I threw them out because they're a post lottery team. And yeah. we've been talking about consol- consolidating forever with them. So I, I threw out a couple of options. So the first one is they go defensive center. Um, they swap Clint Capella, John Collins, and number 16 for Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gay, and a future first-round pick from Utah. Yeah. Right. So it, get, it consolidates a little bit on Atlanta's side. You're really just getting Rudy Gay as a contract filler. Could be a nice bench piece eventually. Um, And it kind of kicks down this kicks, you know, kicks the can on taking another pick, another young guy here. Yeah. And Rudy, again, could be a nice backup player. Again, Patrick Williams dealt with injuries here. And if you're doing this deal, this is kind of a one of those situations to where if you think defensively, you're not switching if you're Atlanta because you have Trey Young and he can't play defense. Right. Well, Rudy can't switch either, so I guess you're just <laughs> leaning into it. <laughs> no switch, all drop. Yeah, just... But Trey, I don't care if you fight over or under, it doesn't matter either way. You're getting either they're going by you or they're shooting over you. So what do is whatever. Yeah, do whatever. Uh so I I think Atlanta says no. I don't think they want to put you know tie up much of their cap into a center. Um and I again we're pro John Collins on this podcast, and I would rather just have John Collins, but you know. That's neither here nor there, I guess. And this last one I'll throw out. Um, D. 
DeAndre Hunter and number 16 for OG Ananobi. I mean, are we aren't completely sure OG is better than DeAndre Hunter? I think so. I think he is. I think he's more durable. Know that. Uh, I think he would – I mean, I think production offensively, like you'd get more from him consistently. That's the thing. I think DeAndre's ceiling is still higher, mm. to be honest. Like, I've seen enough 20, 30-point stuff out of him to be like, okay, like, DeAndre Hunter's still a guy. Yeah. It's just like we saw this in Atlanta. One game he gets – you know, 12 shots, and the next thing he gets three shots. The only difference is just trade and pass it to him today. <laughs> That's such a good point. Like, it is. Because he never gets plays called for him, which is fine. But so it's up to your point guard to distribute and get everyone touches then, and he just he doesn't get touches for large portions of the game. So, right. I mean, maybe he can do more. If I'm Toronto, like, don't get me wrong, I don't want to give up OG by any means, but I, I I don't know if there's much of a difference between the two guys. I really don't. Yeah. I think there's probably just more peace in, like, lying with the devil you know. You know? Yeah. It's like with OG, but you could tell me the other way around, too, and I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, Keep it up. Do your thing, Toronto. Like, bet on your talent evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like OG a lot. Um, his fit in Atlanta, I don't – I think he would take a step back offensively. Um, I mean, defensively, he's still going to be really good. Um, and it's just, like, whether – you know, like you said, whether Trey gets him the ball. Uh, reportedly, you know, he wants more of an offensive role. Um, so is he going to find that in Atlanta? Probably not. So does, would he like be against this trade? Probably. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think it's a fun idea. I I think both teams end up saying no. I think both teams hang up the phone at the exact same time. Yeah. And that's fine too. That is fine. That is fine. Well, that's been it for episode 140. Matt, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I'm going to go cry in bed. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough to have your team in the finals. Uh, but maybe Boston can win two straight. Who knows? Anything is possible, as Kevin Garnett once said. Yeah, that was like 14 years ago. got to yeah. let that one go. That was like the best memory of my childhood. Okay. <laughs> well, that's been it for episode 140. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back after... Potentially, the finals are over, whenever that is. TBD. TBD. We'll see you then. Yeah.